Welcome to the American Downhiller Podcast. This is episode 13 presented by SkiRacing.com. Thank you all for listening and watching and keep spreading the word to all of your friends. Today is all about Kvitfeld, the course in Norway. It's called the Olympic Bakken, a course that has been good to the American downhillers, including World Cup wins by Kyle Rasmussen in 95, double downhill win for Darren in 2000, and Bodie Miller in 2008. But the biggest win ever for the U.S. was Tommy Moe's gold medal run in 1994. And today we have Tommy himself on the podcast. Stay tuned. We'll get to him in just a bit and we'll dig deep. Hi, everyone. I'm Doug Lewis, two-time Olympic downhiller. And although I've never run Kvitfeld race, I filmed an Olympic television commercial there in December of 93 in the dark and got to experience the big air and the high-speed turns and loved every second. Joining me are some of the fastest American downhillers in our, our history. AJ Kitt, the first four-time Olympian on the USP team, World Cup winner, World Championship bronze medalist. AJ, you ran this course. Three words only to describe this course in Norway. Um, I have to say fun overall because it is a super fun track. Uh, uh, rhythm. It's got a great rhythm top to bottom. It's actually really fun. It flows really well. And maybe I guess I'll go with flow for the third one, but it's a ton of fun. All right. Fun, flow, and rhythm. Darren Rolfs, member of three Olympic teams and broke through big time in 2000 with back-to-back -back wins on this course over Didier Kush by nine hundies and Christian Gadena the second day by 18 hundies. There's his trophies. Darren, three words to describe this course for you. Action-packed terrain. <laughs> nice. To the point. And we're going to describe some of that terrain for sure. And founder of the American Downhillers, Marco Sullivan, a four-time Olympian who also ran Kvitfeld during his tenure on the World Cup. Three words about Kvitfeld for you, Marco. AJ already took him, actually, but flowy and fun. <laughs> Only two words. That is awesome. And now our special guest today is Tommy Moe, the Olympic gold and silver medalist from 1994 on this Kvitfeld course, winning the downhill in a shocker over Amat by four hundies. Yes, four hundies Amat. And this was the first time on the course that he got on because he, I, I believe he did not run the pre-Olympic race the spring before. Tommy, glad to have you on the American Downhiller podcast. First of all, where are you and how's the snow? I'm in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and uh, we've had a pretty decent season. Uh, not a lot of snow in, as, as, as in past years, but uh, my three words for Kivitfiel are technical, spicy, and fast. <laughs> I, I like, yep, I like the word spicy. spicy. Uh, I, I got to get right into your run. I just watched it. You, please look it up on YouTube, everybody. Tommy Mokovitfeld, Olympic gold. I'm always amazed at your reaction at the finish. You know, you just focused all the way down. You come through and you're smiling and it's joy and happiness. Can you tell us what you were thinking when you came through the finish and looked up? Yeah, the, uh, you know, my last training run in Kvitfeld, I, I was fourth place. And so Andy Mills like, so Tommy Mo, how do you think you're going to do tomorrow? And I was like, damn, I'm just hoping for a medal. Um, but when I was back at the starting gate, I told myself either I was going to win a medal or I was going to crash. I was like, I don't have anything to lose today. I, I remember I was rooming with Kyle Rasmussen and, and we had like a little deal that one of us was going to get a medal. And uh, when I was on the course, I, I tell this story quite often that I felt like I was in slow motion just because I was in the zone. And uh, 
as I went out of the starting gate, everything clicked. I carried my speed, you know, down through the middle and uh, pre-jumped. There's like the Rushi Sprung jump. And then right after that is where I pre-jumped. And actually, I think that's where I won the race. <laughs> and I just called Mo's Hop. Yeah, yeah, Mo's Hop. <laughs> but uh, it was one of those runs that everything just came together. I, uh, you know, I just, I'd been working really hard, you know, the season before that. And uh, I just loved the course. And it's one of those tracks where, you actually are kind of searching for speed. You're not really, um, it's not like Kitzbühel where you're fearing for your life. It's more or less you're just going for it the whole way. And uh, when, you, when you get in the flow and uh, you're looking for speed on that track, it's, it's unlike no other. Hey, Marco, guess what technique you're teaching at American Downhiller Camp this year? <laughs> Free <laughs> jump. Free jumps again. <laughs> AJ, you were in that race. Your feelings about that race and about Tommy's win? Man, I tell you what, the um, I was so stoked because, you know, a little backstory, nobody expected us to do well. You know, there was articles in Sports Illustrated saying that, you know, we, we had no chance. I think, um, you know, slow as Swiss cows, I think, was the quote in Ski Racing Magazine, or not in Ski Racing, excuse me, but in uh, in Sports Illustrated. And um, and we knew we could do better than that. You know, we'd had some success. Mo was coming on. He'd want, he, I think he won, had you won a Super G or he'd been on the podium in Super G earlier in the year and. And I mean, we were knocking on the door. I mean, Tommy and, and Kyle and I really felt like at any given day, the three of us could sweep the podium. So we were just kind of waiting for that to happen. And um, so it wasn't a big surprise, but I, I, was, I was so energized by Tommy's win. It felt like I had won because, I, you know, just as a teammate, and a guy that I've been with for so long. Um, and, and yeah, that, that course was just right up our alley. I mean, it was so fun. And it was something I felt like we all knew we could attack. And that's so important in downhill. So uh yeah, I mean, heck, my results weren't anywhere near that, but it didn't even matter to me at that point. And just having Mo on the podium was, was, was great. It was great for all of us. And I think that kind of set the, set the tone for the next generation coming after AJ and Mo. And it was like, you know, to have an Olympic champion just a few years prior was pretty rad. And it, it, it was inspiring for, like AJ said, for everybody, even the young kids and the teammates and the whole deal. Yeah, and for me, it just it, it basically, like Marco was saying, it gave us a little more kind of just not hope, but just, hey, we could do it, you know, there in Norway especially. I mean, that's that was like, hey, that's American's turf now. <laughs> Mo just established it. He, uh, you know, he took it down, and, and the next year I came out in, in Super G and got fourth in a World Cup. So it was just there's always American success, and, and Rass was third that same day in the Super G. So – it just seemed like every time we showed up in Kvipil, I think, you know, Tommy basically started that pattern. It was the you know, Americans had great kind of like a good energy, good vibe there. And, and we just, uh, you know, we're good in terrain and it is, it's really active, you know, and spicy, like you said, and, and good flow. And I think that's what we all love. I think that's what we excel as Americans more than, you know, anybody else really. Um, is it that kind of like course that has, a lot of demanding terrain and jumps and speed and all that stuff. And I think we're out there skiing more for fun than anybody else. So that's why it matches our, our skill set. I remember getting off the top lift, you know, after Tommy hit, Tommy had an early number, I think, and, and Kyle and I were a little bit later and I got off the lift up there and, and I bumped into Kyle and he came over and he goes, Hey, Mo's in the lead. And I didn't <laughs> know because back then, you know, we didn't have any really way to check times and all that stuff. And I'm like, I was like, yeah, I'm like, let's go stack them in there let's go jump on the podium with them you know it's like that gave us so much energy 
Hey, Mo, what number did you run? And did you think you had it locked up? How nervous was the next hour? Oh, that was uh, number eight, know, was it? I was bib eight, yeah. You know, uh, Shatil, Andre Amat was bib seven. You know, he was the favorite in Norway. He, and uh, he went down and had a rip and run. He was like uh, 145.79. I remember being at the starting gate and uh, I could almost hear the crowd from the top of the mountain. And uh, I just remember when I was, when I was, Busting out of the starting gate, I was like, I just need to focus on, you know, getting in the zone here. I'm not worried about what place I'm going to get or who I'm going to beat. And um, again, it was just such a fun track. I was like, I kind of surprised myself for one thing because I, you know, my best finish had been second in the World Cup at Whistler. And like uh, AJ said, I'd been third in a Super G earlier that season in Val d'Isere and uh, never really won an international competition. But um, you know, that track there was, was right up my alley. And, and, uh, when I look back on my run at that time, you know, I had everything lined up for me. I, did, I had the right skis. I had Willie Wilts, you know, up there just getting them all ready. And, uh, as an American skier, there's, um, there's only a few times you get a chance to race at the Olympics. And, uh, I said to myself, either I'm going to win or I'm going to crash. And I would have been happy with any color medal. But, uh, when I came to the finish line, the strange part was, is I, came through the crowd and it was all quiet so I was like oh my god did I do must not skied very good but Alma was right in front of me and I actually beat him by 400 so uh the Norwegians were a little bit bummed out and I think Alma was pretty pissed off <laughs> for sure he was man yeah. you stole his thunder there yeah hey he calls me the wrecking ball <laughs> yeah next time we see Alma we got asking he's checking with the wrecking ball lately yeah right you know call the Jackson Hole yeah, he's doing all right, though. He, uh, I think he won 18 Olympic and World Championships medals, so his chest is full. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Tommy talked about the Rusi jump, Moe's hop, the pre-jump. Uh, I'm going to go to AJ, Darren, and um, Marco. Describe another part of the course. What's key for you uh, on that course that you need to hit? Because we're going to watch it this weekend and uh, tell us where those critical points are. I'll, you know, for me, the, the start to the, the big fly off jump, Rusi jump was just tedious. You know, that just getting there was tedious, right? You had to nail one turn before the flats, a, le a left footer coming, you know, sort of jump, land and turn. You had to nail that. Otherwise your day was done, but um, it wasn't that tough. Really. You just had to pick the right line off the jump. And, and then the, the Rusi jump was just a ton of fun. Like you just go straight into it. You've got almost it's kind of like an airplane taking off on a runway. You're just ex accelerating like this and you see the takeoff and you're waiting, waiting, waiting. And then finally you just leave the ground and float. And then, uh, but I think the most critical part was, is comes after that. There's that, that Mo's hop jump and there's a left footer and you go across a traverse and then a right footer and another left foot. I mean, that series right there, if you can nail that, um, that, that is really, really key to nail because it wasn't all that easy. Um, but there's other sections in that course that you have to ski well as well to be to be fast there. But I like that rhythm section because I love I love air and I love combining air with jumps and, and that whole middle section was just dynamite. I'll say yeah, you, just, you can't give up anything anywhere really. I mean, I come off the top, you have that huge left foot carousel turn, it drops away from you, and you have right foot and you drop off that like little cliff jump by the waterfall. And like AJ was saying, that next left footer, you had to generate so much speed because it's relatively flat. There's a lot of good terrain in there, but approaching Rusi jump, you have to be in the hunt. You got to be right in there. Um, you know, it's just 
matching the guys or ahead. And then um, that middle section is so fun. Like for me, I would always think about just, I mean, powerful turns there. To me, it was really powerful turns, working the train, anticipating everything. So you're ahead of it, like Mo did on the hop. I kind of like took that into my arsenal also and used that. And then uh, the middle section is it's pretty rock and roll. I mean, it's quick. You're just going back and forth, but a huge part of it. I mean, I just can't jump down a little ways. Like after Talladega, there's that big left footer bank and it goes fall away. And if you can grab your bowl early into the last jump, you could generate so much more speed to take it in the finish line. And, and to me, that was like a major, uh, you know, just goal of mine. Like I, fought so hard to keep my hands up and good aerodynamics going in the last jump, like earlier than anybody else. I felt like that, that gave me speed to the finish, but that's why I love that hill. I mean, it's just, there's like, I mean, you finish one section, bam, you're another one. It's just like, it does not let up. And it's just, it's super fun track to ski. I, th I think one thing that stood out for me too, my last several years, the terrain is always in similar places, but depending on the amount of snow or the way they built it, it seemed to ski a little bit differently every year and you'd have to kind of work the terrain differently. Like you'd fly farther off some of the jumps, which would push you deeper into the next turn. And it wasn't like a set game plan, like some of the other tracks that are really consistent every year. I always felt like you could kind of morph your game plan depending on the terrain and, and find new places to make speed every year, which was pretty cool. Yeah, and it's definitely high speed into that finish. Down that last steep, you just kind of hyperspace. And I just love, Tommy, talk about, I don't know if you've seen it lately, but your run, it seems like you're looking down. Like you're in your bully and you're just looking at your skis trying to get that that extra hundy. Is, is that what you were doing? Well, yes. Yeah, you know, I showed my run to my kids the other day and they're like, Daddy, it looks like you're like holding a soup bowl or something. I'm like in my low tuck, but I think, uh, I think Darren kind of nailed it there with that, the explanation about that last jump. Um, when we raced there, it was pretty large. There was a few wrecks there that were pretty bad. And uh, it was like this huge bank turn. And anyway, you just had to really stand on your left foot. And then when I look back on my Olympic downhill run there, I came out of the huge bank turn and actually just grabbed my bullet tuck. And I was just praying that I was, had the right direction going off the, uh, the huge jump and anyway when I was in the air I thought I was going to land on the other side of the gate at the bottom and when I landed I was just inside the gate and um, you know it was like 20 seconds of flats before the finish line and anyway I was just trying to ride the flattest ski that I could and uh, get as low as possible and uh, it's just you know that that track there's you know one minute 45 seconds of, of sheer fun and uh, like if you look back at the heritage of the U.S. ski team um, man, everybody's done well there. Darren and Kyle, and Diane Roth and Peekaboo and, um, you know, Rasmussen, he won it the next year in 95. Unfortunately, I went back the next year in 95 and um, ended up blowing out my knee in Tommy Moe's corner. So uh, just unfortunate last race there, but uh, love watching that track. And actually it's on, it's on my radar to take my kids back there here one of these years and, and at least just go ski the resort or, and show them the show them the show them the track let me know the Rolves will be on that trip with you mo there we go yeah let's go back and check it out yeah you know there's two ways to get there's two ways to get ski racing sections named after you win and crash so no, you did both <laughs> <laughs> yeah hey and going back uh tommy to that day it was really cold right 
And uh, yeah, cold temps, the snow is super aggressive, kind of like what they saw in Beijing and everything. But Willie was my ski tech a couple years later as well. And, and I was like picking his brain, just talking about that day. And he did some special stuff, like stuff that I've never heard of before, the, your skis. Um, yeah, it was just really cool. I mean, how much, I mean, you know, how bad he wanted it too. I mean, it was, you guys were an awesome team. And uh, he tried everything under the sun he could, you know, do to um to get those skis just ripping on that that cold snow. So yeah, it's been tw- it's been 28 years, Tommy Mo. I think the statute of limitations has run out. What did he do to your skis? <laughs> well, yeah, one of the uh, one of the stories is that the uh, the Swix rep did bring a little bar of wax from the Swix factory, and he said, "Willie, yeah, try this tomorrow." You know, we just mixed it up, and actually, the, he said the bar of wax was so warm from the factory. And then I know that Willie also kind of waxed my sidewalls, which was probably not new to this day and age, but, um, you know, those skis that I had on that day, I never used them again because of the edge burn. I kind of melted away the base material on the bottom. So, uh, they had the right serial number though. It was zero one one and, and, uh, they're up at the Tordrillo mountain lodge and on the wall and everybody thinks they're Nordic skis. And there's one other thing I heard too. Um, he put that um, oil that the bobsled guys use on their their uh, tracks on the rails. He just dragged a little bit oh, of that on the edges. Oh yeah, edges. Yeah, Willie Wilkes, man. He was he was the difference for sure. When you're winning by point zero four, um, I had a little bit of luck on my side. And uh, man, what a fun event! And seems like another lifetime ago now, but uh, I still enjoy sharing it with with guests and. You know, I'll, I'll get invited to go to a few little corporate events and, and show the Olympic run. And uh, I didn't win 13 World Cups like Darren, but the Olympics helped my career a lot. <laughs> Let's move to where this race falls in World Cup. It's always late in the year. A lot of people have uh, run it uh, a lot. And I always see a breakthrough, um, whether it was Darren Rawls. Uh, whether it's Jared Goldberg had a good result. There's like always a breakthrough there. Is it, why is that? Is it because it's a double downhill? Is it because it's late in the season and people are figuring out their skiing or I don't know. What is it about this course that allows some of the rookies or some of the people to have a breakthrough moment? I think it's just a chargeable hill. You know, I think, you know, we go there and, and certainly being at the end of the year, you're, you're, your skiing's as dialed in as it's going to get. And it's not that tough of a hill. You can really, you can charge it. And uh, um, I talked to Pelkey this morning, actually. And I, I told, I reminded him, I'm like, Hey, we always do well at that place. We always do well in the spring. I said, just tell those guys to keep the pedal on the gas, keep the foot on the gas pedal. It's, it's time to, time to go there and rock and roll. Yeah. It's like last ditch effort too. It's just, I mean, some of these guys that haven't been frustrated a little bit going through the year and, Maybe had some good races, but it's like maybe they just dig a little deeper and you know pull it out there. I mean, Jared definitely has had some good results there, and and uh, maybe just just you know is more thirsty and just hunting a little harder than some of the guys been successful all year and just kind of on that same program just rolling through. But yeah, I think it's it's a really fun track to ski, so it fires you up. And mentally too, a lot of times it falls after the Olympics, like this year, or after World Championships. Some of the big stars are might be a little bit burnt from just all the pressure from the big events and kind of open the door for those younger guys to step in there because they're they're hungry for it. 
for sure. I think the one year we were there, um, the 95 Rasmussen, I mean, he won Vangen a couple, couple weeks before that. And uh, he was all on a super confidence run there. So I remember when Rasmussen won it, I was like, holy man, this is a great track. And uh, end of the season, like Darren said, and, and AJ, it's just a, a fun, fun rip. You can go out there and look for speed and, and uh, surprise yourself, kind of make your season if you actually have a great run, you know, top five it, and all of a sudden you're in the money. Last question. Not anybody can take this. Uh, Darren probably starts with you. Double downhill. This usually ends up being a makeup race uh, venue. So this year is a double downhill. You won the double downhill in 2000. What does that do for a psyche? Um, Darren, start with you and any other uh, want to chime in? Yeah, Lou. Well, um, you know, one, you're fired up to go there and it's uh, it's just exciting to have two shots, two race runs. It's uh, I always look forward to that when there was makeups and and um, it, any any downhill because you could just push a little more, you know, have a little more time. But this one's just like really fun to ski. So if you're on your game, it just it just keeps rolling. I remember like the first time I won, I was just blown away how much like you know like media there was this and that. It was like just it went from race like fit being finished to like dinner, like straight through nonstop, you know, it was my first one. So it was a big deal. Um, a lot of media stuff, but then my first phone call was to Zach Chris back home. My, uh, teammate that was, you know, was there before with, um, he wasn't around anymore. He, he was off the team, but, uh, he was just like, give me just huge, you know, exciting props and this and that. He's like, well, you want a day. It's like, everything else is like icing on the cake. You know, you already proved to yourself. You can do it. Just go out there and lay it down again tomorrow. See what happens. And I was in a, another level. Like I was kind of like more relaxed and having actually a little more fun, but I was like, this is mine. And that second day was actually probably my best run I've ever had in a race. Um, you know, as far as like just timing and, and all that, I, I went back and, and watched my first win and AJ, you were actually commentating, man. I think you said my name about 30 times on the way down the, the track, but, uh, you know, full, just, name. Uh, full yeah. name. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was just, it was really cool, you know, to have one of my mentors, teammate guy yeah, I looked up to a lot on the team commentating, you know, that race win and everything, but, um, that's still a highlight. And, and once you find it, like, it's just, that track was so good to me. It was my first breakthrough at fourth. I had those two wins. I had uh, two seconds, two fours, two sixths. So I had between Super G and um, and downhill, I just had a lot of like, you know, just great performances there. I was going to jump in one more thing on that double downhill. I kind of had the opposite story of Ralph's in 2008. There's double downhill there. And I came in, I was ranked fourth in the standings. And I had the opportunity with double downhill. I was like, all right, I can get up, you know, maybe pass. I think Walcoffer was... 50 points ahead of me or something. And, and, uh, I just won Chamonix a few weeks before and I was fired up and I actually wrecked in both downhills, like pretty hard. <laughs> and it was, uh, it's just kind of weird. Cause it's not really a track where you think of wrecking that much, but I was, I think I was just on that emotional high and thought I could do anything and, uh, was trying to charge the course a little, a little too much. And, and it just bit me. <laughs> so that was, that was the opposite of the, the glory for the two downhills there. 
Talk about the cool factor. Uh, anything stand out? You guys, hotel was halfway up. Did you have special dinners? Anything out of the ordinary that was something to look forward to besides the course? The one thing that really helped us out, I think in 94 was when, uh, I think it was Bill Egan and, and uh, Uli Luti. You know, they set up some lodging for us that was right up on the downhill track. So during the Olympics, you know, all the athletes were, you know, taking a bus up up to Lillehammer from from Kvitfjell, and it's like an hour drive. And uh, the cool thing that our coaches set up for us was this um, some lodging right up, you know, right at the base of the the top of the downhill. Basically, we were right like below the first jump. And anyways. It was awesome because we could get up in the morning and make some breakfast and you just step out of your little cabin and click into your skis and jump on this little T-bar and go up to the top. And uh, I think that made a huge difference for, for our team at that point because we were, we were right up on the slope and um, it was just a perfect setup. It was awesome. I mean, like you said, we could look right out of our cabin and be like, there's the track you know, make up a little egg sando and, and uh, roll out the door and, and you're on the warm-up track. But uh, it was, I loved it there. And back to that double, that double race uh, question there. One thing that really helped me is that after I'd won the downhill, um, you know, the men's Super G was four days later. And, and like Darren said, you're, you're so confident after doing well in, in one race, uh, you know, four days later, it was actually on my birthday, February 17th. Um, you know, I remember being so relaxed at the start. I was like, I've already won the gold in the downhill. So anything can happen today in the super gene. I just kind of went out there and ripped down the super gene. It was actually on the downhill track. And uh, I know Marcus Fosmeyer won the super G by, I think it was eight hundreds. But when you get that confidence going in ski racing, as all you guys know, it's just like you get in this zone where you, you know that you belong in the top three and, uh, when you, when you have that high confidence, it's it's hard to stop that. All right, moving on to the Olympics. Um, pretty interesting, uh, Beijing Olympics for sure. I just throwing it out there. Biggest takeaway. It can be anything. Uh, biggest takeaway for me was um, it the fact that the Olympics, the World Championships, are all mental, right? All there's twelve people that can win that race, and it's up here right between your ears is what, um, what defines you as an athlete at the Olympics. And I'm just, you know, throwing it out there. There's no answer, but I don't know if the athletes, especially in America are training enough mental strength, mental skills. Uh, the euros, they seem to be tougher. Maybe there's just more of them, uh, and they have to fight for their spot. But to me, the biggest takeaway was the fact that the Olympics are all about mental strengths and skills. And maybe the U S needs to put a little bit more, more focus on that i'm just you can just leave it at that go to your thing but i i just saw that and it came to light just seeing how strong mentally the euros were i think part of that too is that how much emphasis we put on on olympic medals in this country and that come coming with that is so much pressure since some athletes you know apply the pressure themselves and um and that makes it difficult mentally and, and then some athletes let external forces apply that pressure which also makes it difficult so I guess my observation from the Euros and, and the assumption is, is that, you know, they're, they're, they're able to focus on the process and, you know, uh, a little bit more than focusing on the results. And, um, and then maybe there's a little bit less stock in, in, you know, the absolute definition of success being, being, you know, winning the Olympic medal. Cle clearly when, you know, when, when one of them does win it, it's, 
um, you know, the, the, the fact of, of what that means is not lost on anybody, but, um, yeah, I just, I think that, um, some other unfortunate circumstances with injuries, you know, allowed maybe a certain, uh, lens to be shot shown on, on the U S and, and I mean, obviously with, you know, Michaela not having the success that was expected of her and, um, you know, Breezy not being able to, to, to race and, you know, Nina having an injury, uh, you know, at the games, I, I think there's a lot of, a, a lot of positives and a lot of people knocking on the door. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly the, uh, unfortunate circumstances that, that were there, um, made it difficult. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of, a lot of positive takeaways too. A lot of good skiing. I got a little something to add on Beijing. I reached out to Thomas Burglar, my last ski tech I had, who was teching for kill day, you know, and um, yeah, it, it was a struggle with that aggressive snow for those guys. I, I guess more, I guess is off the, the mental side, but I, I, you know, I'm just going to run with this on the tech, technical side or setup side, but kill day, they were on the right track with a little like less aggressive, aggressive setup. And it got a little bit warmer on race day. So they went back to, the original setup, which he, they feel is a little too aggressive. They kind of made a mistake there. So the second time he's boned it with skis in the Olympics <laughs> and, uh, uh, and you know, but they, they went back to like for the super G went back to kind of less aggressive setup and it worked out. But, um, you see Bryce, I just was hanging out with Bryce the other day. He showed up here, Palace H Tahoe for the morning. And, um, he was like, that was, that was a tough part, you know, it was just like getting your setup just dialed enough where he actually in that one turn, he lost the ski a little bit, just boot out a little bit and it like caught and it just like, it was so reactive at snow that he, the rebound was too hard, too much to take. And he got popped, you know, high sided and he was in there before that Dang lost man. quite a bit, but on the mental side, I'm a huge fan of the mental you know, aspects, mindset. I put a lot of time into that. Um, watched a ton of vid all summer, ran those tracks all the time. I had like the, the ones I end up doing the best at, the ones I like the most. But I, I just think that there's so much value to that. And, and um, yeah, the Europeans also on the medal stuff, like with the Olympics, like the discipline titles and the overall are probably more of a, um, you know, target for them. And Olympics, they for sure want to do well there. You know, it's a big deal. But I think there is more just pressure put on Americans, really more for Olympic medals than, than the, the Europeans. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Yeah, I kind of, I felt pretty bad for Michaela before the Olympics, just because she had so much pressure on her. You know, she's won everything um, on the World Cup and multiple Olympic medals and, I just knew beforehand that she just had too much pressure and too much media. And uh, when I look back on my career before the Olympics, you know, I, I'd, I'd been second and third. So I was basically an underdog. I didn't really, I wasn't expected to win. So all I had to do was really focus on skiing my best. But you think about, you know, Kill Day and, and Michaela and all those, and even Bayot Foyts, um, those guys are just like World Cup stars. And you go into the Olympics and you got your country behind you. and uh, it just seems like there's so much more pressure now on those t elite level skiers that, you know, you can get inside your head and, uh, you know, 
over ski the course a little bit and then all of a sudden you're you're getting the the fourth or fifth place that you don't really want so i i enjoyed watching the, the track there in, in in beijing i thought it was uh, a good downhill it had it had a lot of high speed and a lot of pretty nasty turns in it you know 19 blind rollers with super icy snow and big jumps and uh you know it's about a minute 45 seconds but um you know bayout voice has been winning all season long and uh that win definitely was well deserved i think also about the track like tommy said I mean, it was pretty impressive to manufacture a downhill like that out of i think out of nothing really you know there's nothing there before they went over there and and built that that uh track and it turned looked great and it was challenging and I thought, especially for the Super G, it was like one of the most exciting Super Gs I've seen in a long time. Is that hill really set up nice for that Super G with like blind rolls, a lot of decisions you had to really be spot on. And uh, that was the highlight of the games for our guys was when RCS punched in there in the Super G. And I think he was a bit of an underdog too, because he hadn't really been performing that all week in the downhill. You know, I think he, I, from like what we were hearing from coaches and stuff, it was like he wasn't really feeling it. And then he dug deep mentally and and went back to what he knows and just had a great performance. And that was really cool. Definitely a highlight for a fan to watch. Sure yeah. was. Yeah. I liked what I liked what Marco said about uh, about that super G because. When I watched uh, Kill They come down that Super G, I was like, oh my God, I've never seen, I've never seen like as powerful a Super G skiing as I saw in Beijing, just because it had this kind of half pipe effect to it. And uh, I just love watching those World Cup stars just rip in Super G. And, and of course the downhill was, was high speed and, and fast, but there was a little bit of wind in that Super G, I guess. So, um, you know, Matthias Mayer came down and maybe had a little bit of a, a gust or two, but you know, at the Olympics, anybody can win, and, and uh, it was fun to watch there. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Cochran Siegel, though, man, that guy's got a touch. He's got a touch. He's kind of a sleeper. Like, he almost looks like he's in slow motion, but his feet and, and the way he, like, observes the terrain, um, really fun you to watch. He's a Tahoe him. boy, huh? Yeah, he's <laughs> a Tahoe boy. He's like 400. <laughs> oh, so close. Yeah, yep. Cochran's Tahoe, sure. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much the same. All right, we are going to move on. Uh, Mar uh, Marco and I can kind of be silent, but Tommy, AJ, Darren, you are now ski racing parents. Uh, talk to me about what's blown you away. How are you able to deal? Are you able to step back and remove yourself? Talk about it, what it's like to be a ski racing parent. AJ, you go first. Well, it's fun. I mean, <clears throat> I just, just spent a week at Schweitzer Mountain and, uh, there was a speed series up there for, you know, Western region. And uh, I, I got asked to coach with my son's program, just they were short staffed. So I went, went up there and stood on the side of the hill. And um, somebody asked me, do you get nervous? I'm, I don't get nervous anymore. I mean, I, you know, I think as a parent, it's, it's hard not to, you know, get a little bit nervous about what you want to see your kid perform really well and all that. But I mean, I, I enjoy it. And, and to, to, I, the, it wasn't lost on me that I was watching my kid race downhill. Like it was the first real legit sort of downhill that he's run. And uh, to be there, you know, sort of on that introductory path for him was really special for me. 
and uh, you know, and getting to getting to work with them um, on the little things. You know, I I, uh, I I realized how difficult it is to to coach touch and feel, which is so important in speed events, and trying to articulate it to these kids like it's so, it's so difficult for me. It just can't, it kind of came naturally, and and I don't really ever remember anybody coaching it to me I just had it sort of developed for me and I that was my biggest challenge is teaching these kids how to like pressure the edge just enough to make the turn but you know when you're gliding you try to you know take pressure off the edge so you're not you know digging it in and all that stuff it just was so challenging but man it's it's uh it's a lot of fun I mean it's all about the journey and I keep preaching that to my son and to all the kids that I work with is focus on the journey don't focus on the, the, the destination. And the same is true on race day. Focus on the process. Focus on the, the gates and your line and your execution. And don't focus on the what ifs of the, of the performance and of the race. So um, it's fun giving back. That's the bottom line for me is it's a lot of fun giving back. Yeah, my daughters, my daughters are uh, 13 and 11. Uh, you know, they grew up skiing here in Jackson Hole and they love to free ski, of course. And the racing, the racing pedigree is, uh, is, uh, Jackson Hole Ski Club right here. We have a great setup. I take them over. They go over to the, the King and ski, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday after school. And, and um, the one thing that I've noticed in, in watching my kids grow up ski racing is, um, you know, just the fact that you, you being able to execute at the right time is, is so hard because my older daughter, Taylor, she gets a little bit inside her head. She just thinks too much, which is unfortunate. Um, but at the same time, like, like AJ said, the whole process of, of, you know, going on ski trips down to uh, snow basin last weekend was, was really fun for me because it was my daughter's first real super G race. And there was 38 meters in between the gates, but it was super offset. It was um, really, really round. So, and my daughter Taylor is actually pretty good GS skier and, and uh, super G is fairly new for her, but uh the super G I actually had the chance to go up and, and side slip the course with her. And I said, Taylor, just, you know, look at the rise line right here. This is where you need to start your turn and, you know, just carve into the fall line and just stand on it and trust yourself. And, and like AJ said, it is hard. It's really hard to articulate the little nuances in ski racing, but she went up there and stood on it and had a great run. Um, you know, she ended up winning a super G, which is, a big win for her and good confidence booster and um but the whole process of ski racing is it's just you have to really take care of your gear you got to be on time it teaches a lot about yourself um because ski racing you know it's an individual sport and you know you travel as a team but at the same time when you're in the starting gate it's pretty lonely up there you have to kind of almost turn your brain off in a way and and just think about executing and performing and, and having fun I think a lot of kids, uh, you know, get too wound up in the what ifs. And um, for me, I do get a bit nervous. I know what I put my dad through now. I get pretty jumpy when, when Taylor's on course. But as I watch her race more and more, it's it's, I get a little more relaxed. Um, slalom's a bit frustrating. It's <laughs> a lot of turns out there in the slalom, but uh, you know, GS and Super G and downhill are great events, and uh, you know, ski racing such a rewarding sport because it just teaches you so much about yourself that um you know the sportsmanship is super important it's um it's one thing to you know to get second or third and then congratulate the winner you know and um uh, 
it's a full circle for me. Um, I'm in it and it's going to be fun to watch all of our kids perform the next few years and uh, see where it takes them. But it's so hard to make it to the Olympic level and even the U.S. ski team now with, uh, you know, so many good skiers. I mean, I was down in Colorado with Darren and in uh, November and we were just watching all these kids ski race and they're so specialized now and so good that, you know, the equipment has gotten so much better and the, 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 they're, they're so much stronger that, um, you know, there's an elite fine line there between making it to the, to the world cup. But, you know, if my kids end up enjoying ski racing and end up going to college and, and even racing in college, I, I'd be a proud dad. Yeah. You're a true American downhiller because you said something about slam a lot of turns and the GS super D downhill <laughs> really great events. But, uh, no, I just, for me, I, yeah, 14 year olds, uh, Miley, she just switched over from racing and, you know, there's, there's to big mountain and there's a lot more distractions going on these days. And, you know, I, I think it's so good for kids that grew up in a race program to learn how to make a good turn. You know, like I just want my kids to be skiers for life and, and um, I don't care what they do, you know, as far as racing, big mountain, whatever, just, I just love to see them outside and, and doing that. But, you know, it's, it's character building. It takes a lot of effort, you know, and, and um, dedication. And I really like, I think I was just one of those kids that put a lot of effort into it. Um, and I, I kind of celebrate in, in others that, that try really hard. It doesn't matter, you know, what kind of success they have, as long as they're like putting it all in there, you know, like dedicated to it and, and trying to focus and all that. And <clears throat> I definitely get nervous. You know, watch my kids. Um, my boy, he's still racing Dre and, and uh, he's loving it, but he just, turns the brain off the wrong way and doesn't like adjust tactically. And he's been fighting it. Like, uh, he's in a rut right now for sure. I mean, he flew off hair jump and mammoth missed the gate. Then he went out in the two GS races here at Palisades, um, over the weekend and, and then straddled and slalom. So he's got four DNFs in a row, super G GS slalom. And he's frustrated, but you know what we did? Like my sister Shannon was up here and, and we just like, took Dre skiing and just started skiing off KT. And then he started smiling again, having a blast and Shan took off and we found some friends and hooked up Miley. And then, and it was just like a whole different, like, uh, you know, feeling that I had from him, like after the race compared to like at the end of the day. And that's the greatest thing. It's like, everybody's going to have tough times and he is struggling big time, but he, he still loves it. It's not like he's throwing in the towel, but that free skiing element, was really important, you know, and, and just, um, kind of letting loose and ha having some fun and, and just to reset, but you can't include Marco because he's overseeing a huge program here at Palisades Tahoe and he's got more kids than all of us to be responsible for, but, uh, you know, it just, he sees it every day and he's up here and, and um, doing a phenomenal job with a lot of kids like you too, Louie. I mean, you don't have your own personal kids, but you're training a lot of kids on the mental side physically and up on the Hill. So, we're all in it and um, it feels good, but just want, I just want to see effort. I just want to see good effort, getting after it, and you find out what you're made of when you throw it down, all down on the hill. So we'll throw it to Coach Marco. Marco, how are you able or are you able to fight through the parent stress of results and coaching stress of results and, and focus in on the love and the hard work? <laughs> you know, how do you get the athlete to respond to that? I think I see it now more than when I was an athlete about 
what all you guys are talking about. It's the process of working hard, loving skiing for whatever you can, wherever you can find the joy of it. If that's free skiing or if it's tuning your skis or if it, you know, the effort you put in, you're gonna get it back out somewhere. And those results, if it's results you're after, you know, if you trust that process and put in the hard work, it's gonna come eventually. But as a racer, you see like every weekend as the biggest weekend of the year, biggest weekend of your life sometimes. And then you look back on it a month later and you're like, yeah, that wasn't that big of a deal. Um, but just like putting the love of the sport and putting, putting your heart into it every day and you end up getting out what you want. Um, and that's, it's, it is tough watching kids get really frustrated, but I think it's so cool seeing all you guys talk about you know, going through the process again with your kids. And I don't think the values and the, the real core morals and values of the thing really change. Like we're all out there to have fun, to work hard and pays off in some way at the end, for sure. That, is, that makes this sport the greatest, you know, um, great job, all of you parents and coaches to, you know, instill the love of skiing because that's what's going to take you the farthest, that work ethic. What a great sport because it's all about grinding and putting that work in. It's about embracing failure. It is a brutal sport. How many times you crash compared to time you win. So embracing failure, what a great skill to teach and then having fun. Every one of you said fun. So that's what it's about listeners. Hey, I want to thank Mo Vibe for being our guest and sharing his thoughts and stories. Thanks to Darren, Marco, and AJ for sharing all of their thoughts and their memories of the Mo Vibe. Hey, thanks everybody for watching and listening to our American Downhiller podcast. If you liked it, spread the word, share with your friends, post it, get it out there because we love seeing our viewership and listenership grow. Just search American Downhiller Podcast, Apple, Spotify, or exclusively on video with SkiRacing.com. Hey, if you have a question, email us at info at AmericanDownhiller.com. Thanks, everybody. And always remember, ski fast, take chances, and have fun.